Go ahead and have a seat. We live in a pretty unique culture, don't we? It's getting stranger all the time. But um, I want to speak to something very specific today uh, because it is the kind of day that it is. And I just want to start with this, that one of the unique features of our culture And frankly, in a lot of mainstream uh, organized religions, the uniqueness that they have, the unique feature is the way that they degrade, marginalize, and belittle the purpose and the plan of God for his women. We're seeing that a lot in our world. But I just want to say to you that in stark opposition to what's happening in our culture and in some mainline Religion is the way the Bible exalts women. You don't have to spend much time in the Word to see what I'm talking about. The scriptures go out of their way to honor and exalt the roles of women in society, the roles of women in their family, and the roles of women in the church. Scriptures acknowledge the importance of women and magnifies their significance and the amazing, life-nurturing way that they influence all of us. In fact, you can go into the very first chapter of the Bible, you will see that God created women in his own image. Wives are the completer to their husbands. You see that in Genesis chapter 2. You go a little further into scripture and you'll see that children are commanded to honor their mothers. Now we know that to be part of the 10 commandments, honor your father and mother. But what you don't may, maybe not realize is that that commandment came um, into a culture where it was not normal for children to honor their mothers because it was a culture dominated by men who viewed their women at the time a little lower than their animals, and that the women were there, their purpose was to serve them as men and to serve their families. Peter, in the New Testament, instructs us men that our women are to be given a special place of honor in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And then in Ephesians, if you've studied it at all, you husbands are commanded to love and cherish your wives in such a way that you will sacrifice yourself for them. That love that we're commanded to love our wives with is supposed to be a sacrificial, a self-sacrificing love that we'll give everything for our wives. We would even give our lives for them if it was necessary. I can go on and on, but it is clear that the Bible portrays women as extraordinary human beings. So much so, let's see how you are on this, okay? In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is characterized as a as a woman. As a woman to be cherished and to be honored and to be sought after with all that you have. 
in um, the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. Exactly. Go back and you can study the early church and you can read the gospels and you'll see that Christianity came onto the scene in the midst of a huge, major cultural, political, and religious war between the Roman Empire and the Hebrew nation. In fact, you don't have to read very long in the Gospels to see that Christianity elevated the status of women in this culture elevated their purpose and their role in the world in ways that actually shocked and in many cases repulsed the current cultural trends both in the Roman culture and in the Hebrew religious culture. In fact, Jesus Christ interacted with women in a way that was considered abominable and taboo and shocking in his day. Did you know that the very first person that Jesus revealed his true identity to was a woman at a well, and she was Samaritan? (laughs) Shocked everybody, freaked everybody out, including his disciples. What are you doing talking to that woman? Because that was the culture of the day. Women held prominent ministry positions in the early church. They were praised for their faithfulness and their giftedness. And you can track this. You can track this in history. Everywhere that Christianity began to influence society, the status of women improved. Because that is the view that God has for his women and the Bible has and Christianity has for their women. In fact, one of the early church fathers, it's really hard to say his name, Tertullian from the fourth century, He wrote that as the church grew and the gospel began to bear fruit, the results were women trending towards modesty, which in that culture they weren't, and they started to trend towards modesty, which led to the elevation of the status of women in general in society. In fact, he wrote this, as believers who lived under the lordship of Christ, women are spiritually wealthier, more pure, and thus more glorious than the most extravagant women in pagan society. In fact, one of their pagan philosophers named Latanes once said, heavens, What women you Christians have. That outburst was the result of him hearing about a woman who stayed sexually pure for 20 years after losing her husband at the age of 20. Bottom line, throughout all of human history, as the influence of Christianity grows Women are less mistreated and less seen as objects for the use and amusement of men. And culture begins to honor them for their virtue and their faith. You want to talk about our culture today? We can't even make up our minds what a woman is. That's tragic. I mean, we're freaking out to just be able to define women. And we're all confused about that. Can I just say, all you have to do is open the pages of God's word. 
and you'll find out exactly what a woman is and you'll know who you are and you'll be able to figure it all out because this is truth and God wrote down his truth in his word so that we don't have to walk around being confused. Can I tell you a story? By the way, I'm not gonna go any more about our culture because you know what I'm talking about and I'm gonna open that door next week as we continue our study on what in the world and what's happening in the world. But um, let me tell you a story and if you wanna take your Bibles, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter two and three this morning as I tell you a story. So the story goes like this, that in the beginning, God was there and God created. (laughs) And he created, you know, I can't, I know some of you are like, you know, everything you do is with food. (laughs) And I know that. But when my brain gets creative about how to illustrate things, it always goes to food. And I don't know why, but I'm just gonna walk in my giftedness. So in the beginning, God created, and he created, the scripture says, the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to create, okay, just so I don't know, there's no, there's no method to this, right? There's no rules to this. Well, see, God didn't either. God did whatever he wanted to do, because he was, okay, so God's creating, ooh, this is the fudge, You know what I should have done? I can't start over now. Hey, it's a creation. So you got a little of that. You got a little of this. He created the heavens and the earth. And you have to have caramel. That is one of the rules. Look at that. (laughs) You know what? I just wanted just like. (laughs) So God's creating and he's creating. um, He, the scripture says that he spoke light. into the darkness, he set time and space into motion. He spoke living creatures into existence. He spoke them onto the land, he spoke them into the sea. He commanded these living creatures to, um, to create and to be fruitful and to multiply and replenish the earth. And we're just gonna do a little more fudge right here. sure God had an apron on when he was doing this. And then on the sixth day, the scripture says in Genesis 2, 7, I think I'm going to have it on the screen here, that then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. I got some nuts here because a Sunday wouldn't be right without that, you know. So he took the dust of the ground and he formed man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And his name was Adam. And God placed him into this beautiful garden, this beautiful place with all the living things and all the living animals. And then he brought all the animals to him and said, I want you to name them. And so he did. But then I want you to see what happens in verse 18 of chapter 2. Look at what happens in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him because, verse 20, For Adam, 
no suitable helper could be found. So the story goes that out of all these living things, all this wonderful thing, these things that God created, there was no one for Adam. The scripture tells us that he was incomplete and all alone in the company of all of the wonderful creation and all the animals that God created. And then look at verse 21 of chapter two. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, he turns to all the animals. This would have been so cool to be here at this moment when he first laid eyes on Eve, and he says to the animals, whoa, man, do you see that? And one of the oxen turns to him and goes, well, you know, Noah, that would be a great name for her. You do know that the animals talked in the garden. Did I say Noah? No, I did not. All right, you need to reverse the taping of that, this. It's, go back. <laughs> That's horrible. And so Moses responded in a very special way. Oh, man, I just messed my own joke up. Forget it. This isn't going how I planned it. <laughs> so Adam said, verse 23, now, okay, just, just stop, and you have to stop and think about this. Think about how awesome this would have been when he laid eyes on Eve for the very first time. How amazing in that whole holy perfection what he would have thought and what he would have experienced and what he would have felt. But he responds with, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Eve, this woman, had to be a creature of stunning beauty. And here's why, because she was the crowning glory of all that God had created. Remember, he's creating and he's making He's making the universe and he's making the earth and he's making the sea and he's making the, all the firmament in the sky and he's creating life and he's placing it on the planet and he makes man in his own image. Didn't make the animals in his image. He makes man in his own image. And he stands back and he's like, this is good, right? Every time he creates something, he goes, this is good, this is good. And he stands back and he goes, you know what? It's incomplete, This, my creation needs one more thing. And so he takes a rib out of Adam and he creates woman. And don't you know that you women are the cherry on top of all and because God is not a God of waste <laughs> Buford come on up here and receive receive your gift I want it all eaten by the end of the service alright 
Hang on, I gotta put my creation away for the second service. All right. Hear me, hear me, ladies. I know this is a goofy little thing um, to do here, but I hope that you can see the very first female of the human race was the last thing to be created by God's creative hand, and she was created with special care, and she was created with special honor for a very special and specific purpose. She didn't come from the dust like Adam came. Adam was created out of the dirt. (laughs) One author wrote this about him. Adam was refined dirt. But the woman was a glorious refinement of humanity itself. Don't miss that. God has composed a vast universe of wonders out of nothing. Then he made Adam from a handful of dust. But nothing in the whole expanse of the universe was more wonderful than this woman made from a handful of Adam. I so love that quote. She was specially made for Adam and was the completion of not only humanity, But of all that God had created, he had truly saved the best for last. Right there in the garden, which is kind of crazy, God actually performs surgery right there in the garden. He's like anesthesiologist and surgeon all in one. He puts Adam out, and while he's in a deep sleep, he opens up Adam's side, and he takes out one of Adam's ribs. You believe this really happened, right? The Bible says it happened just like this, so we believe it happened just like this. It's not some kind of figurative thing that he's doing here. He actually takes a rib out of Adam's side, closes up the place, and then he forms Eve from the rib and forms a exquisite, stunning, flawless specimen of femininity. You're created, ladies, specifically feminine. You're not created masculine. She was created as the perfect complement to Adam. I've heard this many times over the years. Some have said it this way, that God took a redundant bone that Adam would never miss and made for him the one thing that he lacked, a soulmate. Adam lost a rib, but he gained a loving companion. And I could say it in many different ways, but there's no better way to say it than Matthew Henry, the old commentator of old, who said it this way, the woman was made out of the rib, out of the side of Adam, not made of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be his beloved. And in chapter three, verse 20, It says that Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Isn't that amazing? Stop and think about this, ladies. Think about the fact that the the first woman, and I'm not trying to be crude in saying this. this, this is reality here, but she became the portal from which all life would come And when he speaks of life, he doesn't speak of animal life. He speaks of human life. So she becomes, Eve becomes the portal for all human life to come into the world, 
in the fulfillment of God's plan for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. How wonderful that is. And I would love to put a period at that point or an exclamation, let's just put that, let's put an exclamation right there and then say the following, and they lived happily ever after. But we know that that's not true. That's not how the story ends. The story doesn't end there and everything was fine and they lived their great life and they never did anything wrong and nothing ever bad happened, which was the intent of the garden, which was the intent of God's original creation. There was gonna be no sin, no heartache, no pain, no stress. Everything would come easy in the garden. But tragically, the story tells us that Eve would not just become the portal from which all life would come into the world, she would also become the portal. Tragically, through which sin and death would enter into the world. And I just want you to hear this, that you know, we can't be hard on Eve because she, like all of us here today, was vulnerable to the temptation to sin. The temptation to do what her heart wants to do in opposition to what God, his perfect plan was for her. And so I draw your attention to Genesis chapter three, verse one, where it describes what happened. So the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, now I just wanna say to you, if you're unfamiliar with the word of God, that with some careful study here, you know that there, there, were, there was a serpent, the animal serpent, and Satan entered into this animal and used this animal. So this Satan, Satan is actually the one who is doing the tempting here and who is speaking through this serpent. But one day the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Now, before we go on, what's going on here? What do you think is happening here? If you've, been, if you've read the scripture before and read this passage before, is that really what God said? And look at it again. Did God really say? So he's questioning what did God say? He wants to know, Eve, do you know what God said? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Let's go back. You wanna go back and see what God said? (laughs) Let's go back to chapter two, verse 16, and let's see what God actually said. Because I want to show you how Satan works in and among us. Because this isn't unique just to Eve. He's still doing it today. In fact, he's doing it very strongly in our culture today. Look at verse 16. This is what God said to Adam. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Do you see that? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. So what is Satan doing here? Satan is twisting what God actually said. He twists the message from that of what would seem to be extreme generosity on God's part, where God says, you are free to eat of any tree, and what he says is, did God really say that you're not allowed to eat from any tree? Or more specifically, from every tree? You see how Satan does that? This is what he does. He tells us lies about the truth of God and his word, and he twists everything and misrepresents the character and word of God. He does it in every single way, and he's doing it to Eve right here. Oh, how I wish 
Eve, right here, right now, would have said this to Satan. Um, hang on a second, let me go get Adam. Because we don't make these kind of decisions on our own, so let me go get Adam and we'll talk it over and we'll see what Adam has to say to you. How many times, okay, ladies, you okay? Where was she taken from? Where did she come from, Adam? From his side. And I love the part where Matthew Henry says, under his arm for her protection. How many times do we try to go it alone? How many times? And this, this works for all of us, but ladies, how many times have you tried to go it alone and you don't have the strength to stand up underneath the temptation of what is t- drawing you away? And if you would just ask your husband, it's called a partnership. And I know not all of you are married or have been married, but I'm talking to the married couples right now, okay? Is that all right? I'm talking to you married couples. It's a partnership. Don't make the kind of mistakes I've made where I've not asked my wife sometimes. I've not asked Robin a couple of times. And I've gone out there on my own. I'm like, I can do it. I'm the head of the home. I can make the decision. Where if I had just asked her and asked her wisdom, she would have, a, she would have something to say about it because she says something about everything. <laughs> I say that with all the love in my heart. <laughs> she would have an opinion and as together we will make this, man, oh, if Eve had just done that, maybe things would have gone a whole lot differently than what they did. But she went it alone, and look at verse two of Genesis chapter three. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat trees, <clears throat> sorry, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. That's true. And you must not touch it or you will die. That's not true. I don't know why she threw that in there because God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat it. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. So she had almost the whole thing right. Now, it's possible that Adam said, babe, don't even touch it. Let's just do that. Don't even touch it. And that's why she put that in there. We don't know why that's in there, but she's a little skewed on the truth here. But what does Satan do? Right on the heels of what she says, he goes, you will not certainly die. That's a lie. Straight up. For God knows, verse five, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. There's the the worst lie of them all. That was why Satan was cast out of heaven because he said, I will be like God and you will know good and evil. Look at verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for her and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And if we had time to study it, we would see that what comes with disobedience and what comes with sin is shame. And what they're trying to do here in their shame, they're trying to cover this thing up and it never works. Okay, so Eve blew it, right? Come on, did she blow it? Yes, Yes. can we acknowledge that? It's not chauvinistic to acknowledge that Eve made a mistake, right? She blew it. She had an opportunity to do the right thing and she did the wrong thing. 
She disobeyed God. She gave in to what John, the apostle John, calls the lust of the flesh. He said that she saw that it was good to eat. She gave in to the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and she gave in to the pride of life. She saw that it would give her wisdom. And I just want to say to you, this is the way of Satan, and this is the way of his worldly system. The world is trying to entice you and me to go opposite the way God wants, to get off topic of what God has created us to be and God has created us to do. And he's relentless with this. He's smart, you guys. He's not coming at us, you know, like with a pitchfork and, and horns and a pointed tail. We would all go, get out of here. He's not coming like that. He's coming with all the enticements of the things that are good, that God created, that are good in the world. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. That's what God made. And she saw that it would give her wisdom and it was drawing her away from what God wanted to do. He uses the good things of this world to entice us and to twist the truth of those good things and turn them into something horrible because it draws us away from what God wants us to do. It tells us lies about the truth. Always trying to convince you and I that God made you to be and what he made you to do is somehow second class and there's got to be more out there waiting for you and that you have to strive to be or work to get something different than he has already graciously and extravagantly poured out upon you. He's equipped you to do amazing things, but somehow there's this temptation that that's not good enough, I need to seek something else. And so we go out searching for it when it's right there in front of us. I just wanna say something, especially to you ladies today. You don't have to listen to him. He's made you the way he wants you. And you're his beloved. You are his wonderful creation. You don't have to listen to Satan. You don't have to accept what he's offering. We all have all that we need. We can eat from the tree in the garden of God's righteousness and be completely satisfied in him. We don't have to go searching for these things out here that he said, don't do this. You can have all of this and I have provided all of this for you, my children. Just don't do this over here. What do we always do? Exactly what Eve does. We go chasing after the thing over here that he said no. Sometimes it's just because he said no. What is wrong with us? See, we got some weird rebellion thing in our heart that we just, well, you know, almost, it's almost like if God, well, isn't that the, the purpose of the law? Without the law, we wouldn't know if we were doing right or wrong, right? I mean, that the whole purpose of the law was to point out the fact that we're sinners and we can't do this on our own because we always chase after what we can't have just because we can't have it. We don't have to do that. But when we blow it, what are we supposed to do? Come on. Well, see, right now, you guys are going into your cinnamon roll comas. <laughs> what are we supposed to do when we blow it? Repent. So to humble ourselves and repent. But look what happened in verse 13. So the Lord God asked the woman, this is chapter three of verse 13, 
Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Now God is clearly giving her a, clan, a chance to confess and to repent, but this is what she says. The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate. The exact same thing happened to Adam. So God comes to Adam and he says, have you eaten from the forbidden tree? See, Adam was hiding and they were, in, they were full of shame. And so he's like, why are you hiding from me, Adam? Did you eat from the forbidden tree? What does Adam say? The woman you gave me, <laughs> this crowning glory of your creation, gave me the fruit and I ate it. What a chump. <laughs> what a weak, what a weak man. Blame your wife? You knew what you were doing, Adam, right? Be careful judging Adam. What should they have done? God gives them an opportunity to humble themselves and repent, confess their sin and repent. What have you done, Eve? Whoa. I don't know if she said it like that. But. <laughs> the serpent tempted me, so I had to eat it. Adam, did you eat of the forbidden tree? Um, well, Eve gave it to me, and I'd know I'd get in trouble if I didn't do what she said. I'm sure that didn't happen. You know, we're goofing around, and I'm goofing around, but it's a really serious matter. But God wants you to know that, because some of us right here in this room, we might be in the middle of a sin issue right now. We might be in rebellion against God right now. You know what the message for you today is? Are you eating of the forbidden tree? What have you done? See, God always holds out, and we're in, the, we're in the, the season of grace when God offers forgiveness for those who will repent. And so the call to you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're going the wrong way, is stop. What have you done? The question to you today is what have you done? The, the, in the question is the invitation to humble yourself and confess what you're doing and then repent, which means to turn from it and walk out of that because there is life on the other side of sin. That's not a very strong amen from a bunch of sinners. You would think we would all stand up and cheer when you hear these words and we rehearse these words that even if we sin in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our propensity to go the wrong way against God, when we humble ourselves and we confess and we repent and turn from those evil ways, God says, come on back, son. Come on back, daughter. I've got great plans for you. Amen. And that's, that ought to encourage your heart today. We can't stop the plans God has for us. I wonder, I wonder, you know, we talk about consequences to sin a lot around here, and we talk about this. You can't, you can make your choices on your behavior, but you don't get to choose your consequences. That's not new news to any of you, right? You all understand that, right? Balcony, you with me? Right? 
I mean, you can make your choices, but you don't get to choose your consequences. But here's what I want to say to you. You can humble yourself after you've made the wrong choices and you can confess and repent and that might have something to do with your consequences. I wonder if after God gave Eve and Adam the opportunity to repent, had they repented, I wonder if the consequences would have changed. But they didn't. They made excuses, and so the three of them are standing before the Lord. And you're like, the three of them? Yeah, Adam, Eve, and the serpent. Evidently, the serpent had legs or something like that. Okay, back in those days, and he could talk. You do know that if a serpent came and started talking to you, ladies, you would freak out. <laughs> Eve didn't freak out. It was like no big deal to her. So evidently, that was a normal thing there in the garden. Isn't that weird to think about? So the three of them are standing before the Lord, and the Lord doesn't argue with them. Do you notice that? The Lord doesn't say, yes, you did, Eve. You did it. It was your fault. Adam, it was your fault. Don't you be blaming Eve on that. He doesn't argue with them at all. He just says, okay, that's your response. Here's your consequences. Let's look at it, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So that's Satan's curse. Here comes something for the woman, for Eve. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband. Isn't that something? Lights are starting to come on in some of the guys' heads right now. <laughs> well, that makes sense. But he will rule over you. And then he turns to Adam and to the man, he says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of the grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from the dust, and to dust you will return. So God curses the serpent, Satan. He curses the ground, which will have a profound impact on Adam and all mankind until Jesus returns to make all things new. The earth is actually groaning because of all that. And then he turns to Eve, and this is where I want to finish today. He turns to Eve and he says, I will sharpen the pain of your childbirth and you will desire to control your husband. In other words, Eve, your consequence is going to affect your two most important relationships on the planet. Those relationships where you're supposed to find your highest joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in your husband and your children. She would have had none of this struggle, none of this pain in paradise, but they are now living in paradise lost because of their sin. That which was supposed to bring 
easy, exhilarating joy and gladness will now come with pain and difficulty. He says to her, the unity that you've enjoyed with your husband is now gonna be mixed with you struggling against his leadership. And you'll have to fight the feelings of wanting to control and dominate him. In fact, we could say today that the tension over gender roles actually started then. What we're experiencing today is a result of the fall and the curse on the fall. But I need you to hear me, ladies. Just lean in right now, because we're coming to the end, okay? Just lean in with me right now and hear this. Hear this loud and clear. God didn't throw Eve out. He didn't just kick her to the curb because she blew it. He didn't get disgusted with her, and he didn't change his mind about her and the purpose that he had for her at creation. And he didn't cast her aside and say, you know what, you blew it, you're out, I'm creating something else. His purpose for Eve did not change because she blew it. You need to hear that. The reality is her purpose and the plans God had for her just got a lot harder for her because of her sin. God wasn't done with Eve because she failed. He basically says to her, okay, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get back to what I created you to do. Get back to what I created you to be. You still have a lot of work. It's gonna be harder now because of what you guys did, but you still have a lot of work to do with Adam. He's gonna need you now more than ever because of this. You're still the mother of all the living. Do you notice? Did you notice? Did it even matter to you that God didn't take her ability to be the portal for all human life away from her because of what she did? You do know that the Bible says that through Adam and Adam's sin, death comes upon all man, so we have the sin gene that we, it comes through us but where does life come from? It comes from the womb of a woman. In fact, he says to Eve, I'm not done with you, your seed, and from your seed, your seed will produce the one, Jesus Christ, who will come to earth and fix all the mess you just made. Isn't that amazing hope in the middle of this? There's a curse here, and yet in the curse there is a blessing. In the curse there is hope. In the curse there is still a plan and a purpose for Eve. Your offspring, Eve, is going to come and destroy the destroyer and bring to an end his reign of deception and his reign of death upon the earth. You will still be the portal of life for all mankind, but you're actually going to become, from your loins will come, the giver of life. You are still my crowning glory of creation. So get up and live like it. Get up and walk like it. Walk in your purpose. 
and I will be with you all the days of your life. Isn't that something, ladies? It doesn't matter what you've done. If we will humble ourselves and we will confess our sin and turn from our sin, God will say the same as he did to Eve. Okay. Now, you know there's consequences, right? You know we're going to have to deal with the consequences of what we've done. But in the middle of the consequence, God says, okay, I'm still going to work my plan that I have for you. Because I love you. You're my daughter. He says to her, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. In fact, her legacy through the curse, though filled with brokenness and pain because she and Adam experience a lot of family pain, her legacy lives on in all of us because Jesus said, the Bible says of Jesus, in him is life, and he, his life is the light of all mankind. And we are light bearers today because of God's grace towards her. Ladies, your significance and your worth, uh, the purpose and plan of your very existence is not defined and dependent and dictated by our culture by public opinion, by peer pressure, or by your past faults and failures. I want you to hear that. And I think that is a lesson we learn from the life of Eve. All of your worth, all of your significance, and your purpose was given to you, the scripture says, before the world began. Just like it was with Eve. He chose you, the scripture said. He adopted you. When you gave your heart to him and you confessed your sin to him, the scripture says that he forgave you and redeemed you for the praise of his glory. I want you to hear that you are his special workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do amazing things. No matter what your past, your eyes have not yet seen, your ears have not yet heard, and your mind hasn't even begun to imagine the things that God has prepared in advance for you to do. He's not done with you, no matter what you've done. No matter what's been done to you. No matter what anyone thinks of you. You are his, can I say it? You're the cherry on top of his creation. You are the completion. You're the crowning glory. And he's just getting warmed up with your life. We love you. We honor you, ladies. We respect who you are and who, who you have been created to be. And it is our goal, it is our desire to do everything we can to help you be all that God has for you to be. Let's all stand together and this may feel a little weird and awkward but because it's, it's a song, but we're gonna sing this song, The Blessing is an amazing song and we just wanna, 
if no one else sings, the team up here and me, we're gonna sing this over you. But you can sing along, but let's just receive. Ladies, we want you to just receive the blessing of the Lord. That the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace and provide everything in your life and fulfillment of everything he wants to do through your life as we end the service today.
actually that all of you would receive that because the Lord is for you and he is with you. And it is our desire that he will bless you. I'm taking you by surprise here, but uh, would you just pray over us? I have learned so much from you. Over the years, we've been able to serve together and uh, about how to honor your wife and how to be an honoring presence to the women of the church and the women of the world. So would you just uh, close us out? My Father, how humbling to be in the presence of Almighty God. To be known as a child of God and to be loved by you so deeply. Thank you that when we blow it, you don't discard us. But when we come to you, you pick us up. You hold us in your arms. You assure us of your presence. And you give us hope for our future. May we never, ever forget that. And for those here who don't know Jesus, God, today I pray you would draw them to yourself and they would find in Jesus what those of us who know you already have. And God, for the ladies here today, may you encourage their hearts. May they be filled with your Holy Spirit. And may today just be a great day for them. For the moms, God bless them. And may their children rise up and call them blessed today. Thank you for being with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Share some love on the way out and eat some cinnamon rolls as you go. God bless you. You're dismissed.